Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. Hey guys, before we go beyond the pond, we wanted to tell you about our first sponsor, Cash or Trade. Cashortrade.org is disrupting the secondary ticket market. They've been called the Airbnb of tickets. They help real fans avoid scalping and purchase tickets for face value. Together, we are the change this industry so badly needs. Dave, have you ever used Cash or Trade? I have. I have used it in the past, and I find that the people that use it, they're honest individuals who, just like you and me, want to buy tickets for good shows for face value. It doesn't have any of the creepers on Craigslist. No one's trying to get you to wire the money from the CVS so you can go see Pearl Jam. That doesn't happen with Cash or Trade. I've had a very similar experience whenever I'm selling tickets, whenever I'm purchasing tickets. You always end up striking up a relationship with the people that you're in the uh, purchasing process with, and they always end up uh, being really solid people. We'd encourage you guys to go to cashortrade.org backslash Osiris, that's O-S-I-R-I-S, and get 25% off a year of gold membership. The gold membership comes with the option of receiving push and text notifications each time a ticket is posted that you're looking for. You can also reply immediately without delay and gain the renew feature to bump your post to the top of the list, thus increasing your post exposure when looking for hard to get tickets. Again, go to cashortrade.org backslash Osiris and add the coupon code Osiris when you check out to get 25% off. And finally, we want to remind you guys that Beyond the Pond is proud to be a charter member of the Osiris Podcast Network. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans like you with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts like Under the Scales, Sharing Asana, Daddy Unscripted, and many more. You'll continue to hear much more about Osiris, our sister podcasts, and upcoming live events in the coming weeks. But first, let's go beyond the pond. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain my head i'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if i only had a brain i'd unravel every riddle for any individual in trouble or in pain with the thoughts you'd be thinking you could be another lincoln if you only had a brain hey folks i'm david goldstein i am brian brinkman and you are tuned into episode 30 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast in which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish as a conduit to get the listener to listen to other music, generally non-jam bands. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans, but as you know, sometimes the problem with Fish fans is they listen to too much Fish, they get a bit myopic, and then the next thing you know, God, I don't even know what the heck is going on in the news lately. It goes really, really quick, and it's really, really depressing. Let's just say on this evening, there's a lot to be gained by listening to bands other than Fish. 
Yes, we would love to take as much depression and chaos out of your life. There's too much of it in the world right now. We want to give you guys an unending playlist and an unending list of music to listen to, which is what we're here for, to take fish and help you guys go beyond the pond. So um, tonight's episode, we are going to be discussing a really excellent kind of underrated fish jam. Uh, We're going to be discussing the Birds of a Feather from July 8th, 1999 in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And for those of you who have uh, listened to Beyond the Pond before, those of you who have not, just a quick overview of what we do. We take a fish jam, break that fish jam down into a couple of themes, and introduce you to some new artists that we think that you'll really enjoy based off of what we hope you enjoy from this fish jam. And some of the musical themes that we're going to explore in this episode include musical dream states, if I only had a brain, and lucid dreaming, an exploration of Yola Tango's new album, There's a Riot Going On. And on that note, kick back with us. Let's get to some fish. talking about the July 8th, 1999 Birds of a Feather. Well, to be short, in a year that was defined by dreamy jams, this is one of the dreamiest jams of 1999. Here in this Birds of a Feather, the band settles into an ambient groove following an exit from the Birds theme about 10 minutes into the jam and rides it to what sounds like a conclusion before Trey captures a line from If I Only Had a Brain like right out of thin air and the band riffs on it and for the jam's final two to three minutes. This is one of my personal favorite jam segments from 1999. It's a kind of weirdly familiar but psychedelic type of jam that I just absolutely love from Fish. It's a kind of performance that harkens back to the best parts of Fish history. It's a little bit humorous. It's somewhat reminiscent of your childhood. It's a little bit eerie. It's completely off the cuff. The way that Trey's guitar comes in with that riff out of this, it just sounds like summertime open amphitheater fish to me. What, what do you think, Dave? Well, some full disclosure, Brian, I was actually very unfamiliar with this jam until you suggested it for a Beyond the Pond episode. I'm not even, I mean, maybe I heard it back in 1999, but I'm not even sure that I had. And then in listening to it, you're absolutely right in the sense that at the end, it kind of gets dreamy. It gets a little strange with both the line and lyrics from If I Only Had a Brain. There's Fishman. I think he adds some strange lyrics about calling himself, uh, I think, the word flagina, which was, yes. <laughs> I think, a callback to some earlier jokes in 1999 or on that tour. Yeah, it's kind of, it seems to come a bit out of left field and is far, far more interesting for it. And some of uh, the comparable jams that we have from Summer 99 include the, uh, the Ghost, the Slay the Traffic Light from July 4th, 1999, the uh, July 7th, 1999, Waiting Velvet Sea, My Left Toe into Waiting in the Velvet Sea, July 10th, 99, that's uh, the live fish show from Camden, the Tweezer, Dreamy and Slow, very, very slow. And uh, kind of rounding out that tour, July 15th, 99, you've got 
a second set opener meat stick that has full-on dance instructions before going into a uh, near 20-minute ambient jam. Um, the tweezer from Oswego. The simple into my left toe from Burgettstown on July 21st, 1999. One of my personal favorite jams from the overall tour. And uh, my favorite show of 99, show that... Uh, we would do anything for Live Fish to release here. July 25th, 99, the opening segment of My Friend, My Friend, Into My Left Toe, and The Whipping Post. All of these really kind of, they, they sound uh, uh, like from a similar skin of the uh, Birds of a Feather that we're talking about here from July 8th. Although one thing that I find so unique about this Birds is, you know, with the If I Only Had a Brain teases, it kind of harkens back to like humorous early tease tease fest days of of fish when that was really what their jamming was centered around um there really isn't much jamming like that in in summer 99 aside from the fact that it is a very airy and kind of dreamy jam which which makes it all the more interesting in the place that it's in yeah and um with regard to birds of a feather following the one from april 4th 98 which was the island tour on the second performance after that, it was solely a Type 1 vehicle until this version. And then this one actually kicked off a summer of very high-quality versions, including um, July 10th from Camden, July 23rd from Columbus, and, of course, the July 25th Deer Creek version with very spacious, groovy, very 1999-style uh, jams that we would highly recommend. Now do I realize that July 25th actually has some pretty good lineage in fish history. It's 18 years later. That was uh, that was jam-filled, right? Oh, yeah. That's wild. I never really kind of drew that together. That's pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, I would say Birds of a Feather is the song of that summer tour. I mean, those four versions, the four versions, including this one, are some of the high-point jams of the overall tour. Yeah, the Camden one had the big second jam in F major. It was almost kind of like a Mike's... Uh, Mike's second jam and that big key of F. Right, right, right. You know, and Birds with a Feather is interesting. I mean, it's it's like you were saying, following its debut weekend where they played it twice over the island tour, um, it really went into type one territory for about a year, year and a half. And then it's mainly here in 3.0 served as a type one jam either as an opener or as kind of a step up in a, in the first set to, uh, to to add a little bit more energy into the set. But there have been some really notable jams out of Birds of a Feather over the last 18 years. A couple of them we'd recommend you guys checking out. Uh, 629-2000 from Homedale, which goes into um, Catapult, one of my favorite shows from that tour. Uh, the August 2nd, 2003 version from It!, a jam that never totally leaves Birds of a Feather, but it explores a ton of really interesting terrain over about 15, 16 minutes. Uh, the December 30th, 2003 version from Miami, that's uh, right in between an L.A. Woman jam, which is just wild. And the uh, Mr. Mojo Rising. <laughs> and the, uh, that was a wacky, wacky show. Very weird show. Uh, very much in the 1230 spirit. Um, and then August 10th, 2004, rounding out 2.0 uh, jams from Birds of a Feather. They end the first set, and I believe it's a five or six song first set with a 22-minute Birds of a Feather that um, might take the cake as the most unique 
and the furthest they, they, they might have ever gone from Birds of a Feather's theme. I, I love that jam and a really clear sense of how high they were still playing towards the end of uh, 2.0 when they really put it on. It's very August 04. Make it that what you will. Some people love August 04, some can't stand it. I think it's pretty great. I think there's, uh, the highs are incredibly high, uh, and the emotions are obviously running very, very deep during that tour. Um, what do we have from 3.0? What Are there any versions you'd recommend, Dave? I'm thinking November 25th, 2009 from Philadelphia, June 15, 2012 from Vader Field in uh, Atlantic City, and then more recently, the one from um, October 30th, 2016 from Vegas, part of... Uh, a perfectly incredible four-night Halloween run. Every show, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. It kind of seems like it was a long time ago because that was before we had the president who we have now. <laughs> so just briefly talking about this show, um, the show from from Virginia Beach, it actually kicks off with a 23-minute version of Free, I'm sorry, Fee, not Free, Fee, in the two-hole this very exploratory jam. Trey does a bit of like a Robert Fripp, Frippertronic thing, uh, which we talked about way back in episode one with the Camden Chalk Dust. Don't sleep on the stash. And then following the birds of the feather in set two, there's a mellow Prince Caspian, fiery, fiery page and Trey duel and Jesus just left Chicago. Kind of a interesting place in Fursard again. Sleep. And then an excellent tube into simple set closer. Rounds out a set that's actually much better in the ears than on paper. I mean, I don't know how many times simple has been used as a set two closer. I don't think it's more than three or four. Yeah, and it gets the uh, squirming coil treatment here where the band leaves the stage and leaves Paige on there to close out the set, which is great. Um, You know, it's interesting. This first third of Summer 99 doesn't really get a ton of recognition at all. Uh, a lot of the focus starts right around the Camden show, and, you know, in some cases, rightly so. Um, but this uh, this tour started in Kansas, which is kind of weird, uh, pretty random, uh, kind of like when they opened up a tour in Minneapolis in 2016. Like, it's just not one of those places you would think of fish opening a tour. Um, but there's a really killer bluegrass-themed show just outside of Nashville on July 1st, 1999. We talked about that a bit in episode 16 with Jonathan Hart of um, broke down podcast and we would definitely encourage you guys to check that out as well as the show some very good atlanta shows over the fourth of july and then a massive massive 2001 in charlotte north, charlotte north carolina just the night before this particular show we're talking about um you know when people talk about summer 99 they're usually like we we're saying talking about camden great woods pnc as we go Those are fantastic shows. Uh, There might be a bit of an East Coast bias going on. I mean, those are all shows played during the midpoint of the tour after the band had warmed up and they're playing in, you know, their favorite spots. Um, And you could also add to the fact that July 15th, the first night at Homedale, was an early webcast. I've never actually seen footage from that show. Did you watch that webcast live? I did. I was up in... um... My dad's office with the Samuel Adams logger, watching <laughs> with friends, and we did not really like the second set of the Greatwood show that we were at, and they had the day off, and then we didn't go to the PNC show, we watched the webcast, and then we watched the second set with the meat stick and all that craziness, we said, okay, 
We're back on board. You know, Summer 99 is really interesting in the larger fish canon. I think that this show and kind of the tour in of itself just, it, it really showcases uh, an interesting point that Bam was at. Um, this was described of note uh, in great length and detail on a recent HF Pod episode. There, there are episodes 127 and 128 um, where they went deep into Summer, in, into 99 as a whole. So we re- definitely recommend you guys check that out for like a full scale 99 history overview of fish uh during that period um but this is really the first full tour where you hear the band slip with regards to their compositions uh at the same time the band is really committed to building on the minimalistic full band jamming that had defined everything they did post remain in light and really stretches music far beyond its limits um part of this strategy behind this musical experimentation led to the band's first full change in the way they were positioned and arranged on stage since the early 1980s. Page remained in his spot, Mike moved to center stage, Trey took far stage left, and and Fish tucked in behind Mike and Trey. This was kind of similar to their current stage setup, except with the emphasis here was on the rhythm section right in the center of the stage um, that was there to drive the band, while Page and Trey offered ideas atop their driving underbelly and you really kind of hear this sound sort of come to form here in this birds of a feather, especially, you know, when the band or when the jam shifts from a birds of a feather jam into a little bit more exploratory type two type of jamming, Mike and Fishman really kind of drive it forward while Paige and Trey are there just kind of sprinkling ideas on top. And that's where you really find Trey being able to just discover this riff out of thin air that leads to something so familiar and so uh, reminiscent of, of uh, If I Only Had a Brain. So, on that note, I think uh, we've kept it for me long enough. Let's listen to a segment of the Birds of the Feather from July 8th, 1999 from Virginia Beach.
right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that segment of the July 8th, 1999 Birds of a Feather. So what you heard there was a very atmospheric and dreamlike melodic jam from Fish, something reminiscent of a lot of the best parts of 1999. So the first segment that we wanted to uh, work through here, we wanted to talk about musical dream states. And if you recognize this theme, it's because we covered this in episode 15 when we covered the Sense and Subtle Sounds from Camden, New Jersey on July 30th, 2003. We thought it'd be great to kind of revisit this. It's a similar type of uh, segment in the jam, and there's a lot of really great songs that we want to share with you guys that when you listen to them, you kind of feel like you're falling into a dream. So I've selected an artist here named Juliana Barwick, and uh, I'm going to play a song called Bob in Your Gate off of her 2011 album, The Magic Place. Um, So quick personal note, if there's any album that reminds me of living in Portland, Oregon, it's this. I lived there for about a year and a half in the early 2010s, and this album was just on in my head and in my mind over and over and over again. It sounds like the chill and cool gray skies that dominate Portland from Halloween to the 4th of July, especially those late spring evenings that seem to drag on for months until summer finally takes over. I can't tell you the amount of times I listen to this record while biking through Portland neighborhoods can only be estimated. Uh, Much of the time, I felt as though I was in fact dreaming. This is back in the uh, halcyon days where I cooked for a living, where uh, uh, my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife and I, lived in a tiny apartment. We paid under $1,000 for rent, and we were childless and uh my god life seems so much easier (laughs) it really was (laughs) um so anyway getting back to juliana so this is uh juliana barwick's debut album it was released in february 2001 during that deep chill of indie rock when chill wave took over and things kind of mellowed out a little bit for that early part of the of, of the decade um this is an insanely simple album she layers her voice with synths Um, On one track, prize-winning towards the end of the album, there's a drum track. That's really the only uh, only, uh, sound that you hear that's not simply her voice layered over and over and over again. It's an atmospheric record, and it sounds like an early morning wake-up where you can't quite get out of bed, and you just fade in and out of sleep with, like, the window open and... Summer just drifting in and out of your room. It's it's the best. It's such a relaxing record here. Uh, this was recorded between 2010 and early 2011. And the album's title comes from a massive tree in front of the house she grew up on, on her parents' farm. Uh, 2010 was apparently quite a magical and nostalgic year for Barwick because she named the album for uh, this to honor the memory of her home, as well as to really honor what was happening in her life at the time. Um, this album is really reminiscent of ambient series uh, era Brian, D- Brian Eno, and it's really best listened to while you're simply going about your day and living your life. This music is not for sitting or contemplating. It's really there for living. It works well with the dishes, with cooking, with folding laundry, with just kind of uh, doing minor chores around the house. It's the kind of music that you want to just have like breathe in and out of your life and in and out of your soul as you're kind of working through your day. Um, her later records, uh, 2013's um, The Penth and 2016's Will, built off the themes of The Magic Place, 
while the former incorporated more synths and atmospheric sheen into her work. Uh, That was a record that was recorded in um, Iceland and uh, produced by, I believe, the bassist in uh, Sigurov. Uh, Sigaros. Um, I could be mistaken about which member it was, however. Um, that was before it was discovered that they would wire taxes to the Icelandic government. Right. <laughs> um, and the, the latter <laughs> the latter will uh, really returns to her stark minimalism of the Magic Place, but in that record with a bit more darker, uh, darker overtones. Magic Place is a much more optimistic record. So I hope that you guys enjoy the song Bob and Your Gate here off of Juliana Barwick's The Magic Place, and I hope you kind of find yourself in that musical dream state that uh, we're talking about here. So I'm actually going to touch upon an artist who has toured with Juliana Barwick, kind of cut from the same cloth, slightly poppier perhaps. Her name is Julia Holter. And the album I'm going to talk about is uh, 2015's Have You In My Wilderness. The song we're going to play is the second track on that album called Silhouette. Now, Julia Holter is a Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter whose main instrument happens to be keyboards and her vocals, but she also has a degree in music composition from the University of Michigan, and this is absolutely evident when you listen to her albums. Um, She's big on experimental pop songs evoking dreamlike states, and the um, arrangements she uses putting on orchestral strings in between her keyboards and um, the upright bass and percussion of her bandmates is really quite impeccable and something to behold. So have you in my wilderness. That's her fourth album, probably uh, her most quote unquote commercial, which in this case, yeah, kind of just means somewhat cleaned up uh, from her three prior albums, her vocals, the front and center, the mix is somewhat clearer. The song lengths are a little bit less epic. And if you want to draw comparisons, she kind of draws on traditions from uh, adventurous female singer-songwriters with a keen eye for whimsy and mischief. Think like Kate Bush, maybe Tori Amos, maybe Joanna Newsom, although she's probably the least immediately accessible of that trio. So the song that we're going to feature here, called Silhouette, it really floats by in a positively dreamy bed of orchestrated strings and harpsichord in its last minute. Anchored by the contours of Julia Holter's voice reciting the title word. And the effect 
It's really like her voice is seemingly lost in a dream. It's a very sensuous track to listen to on good headphones, as are most of these songs. And really, if you're a fan of uh, somewhat poppy musical dream states, such as the one conjured up towards the end of the Virginia Beach Birds of a Feather, I think you'll enjoy this record very much. So, let's listen to Silhouette by Julia Holter. playing a little bit of Julie Holter there. Really, really wonderful recording artist. I love listening to her and hopefully we have something new coming from her here either in 2018 or early 2019. Uh, definitely we'll be keeping our eye out for it. Um, so we're going to take a quick break here in the show. We're going to return to a segment that we haven't really featured here in a few episodes. I think the last time we touched on new albums was uh, during the Bellingham Weekapog episode episode 23 um and this is definitely an important aspect of the show and something we uh are going to be bringing back here for you guys we want to definitely be giving you guys a new record that we think that you'll enjoy something that both of us have been listening to around the time of planning and recording the episode something really kind of new and hopefully a good discovery for your uh um, growing list of 2018 albums So the album I'm going to discuss is a debut album from a Korean recording artist named Park Ji-ha, and the album is called Communion. Um, This is a really atmospheric and experimental jazz-ish record. Um, Park uses traditional Korean instruments and fuses them with jazz rhythms and melodies while focusing heavily on noise and atmospheric washes of sound, creating a record unlike anything I've really ever heard. Um, Coming from someone who lived in Korea for two years, um, who loves jazz and experimental music, this really, really hits me in a unique place. Uh, There's kind of nostalgia involved uh, when I I started hearing this record and kind of what really drew me into it. It reminded me of uh, these like spring hikes that my wife and I would take through the mountains. And the mountains in Korea, they're really fascinating. The the country is 85% covered in mountains. And um, the mountains just rise right out of the cities. So you like are walking through city streets and then there's a trail that comes out of nowhere. And uh, you you hike up and you're so close to the city that you can hear traditional music being played by elders in their backyards. And this just really hits me in that sort of way. Um, So 
you know, in, in, in 2009, just kind of as a, as, a, as a quick side note, kind of a quick digression off of this, in 2009 and 2010, when I first lived in Korea, um, I took a real big leap forward as a listener. Um, suddenly, melodies and song structures meant not as much to me. And the focus for me became the possibilities within breaking down the rules within music. I found myself able to listen to music that didn't follow traditional structures. And I really found myself seeking out music that challenged me as a listener. And much of this came from the realization uh, that this was what I sought from Fish. And so hearing this album, like I said, from a nostalgic standpoint, this just hits home in a really big way. Um, like I mentioned, this is the debut album from Park Jiha. Uh, in this record, she uses no electronic instruments. Uh, the album fuses jazz with minimal, minimalism and noise, and it's really sonically intriguing and just something I hadn't heard throughout the entire year that got me really excited. Um, there are two key instruments, instruments that you want to listen for here. Um, I'm going to attempt to pronounce these correctly, and uh, excuse me, my Korean is not up to what it was five years ago. Um, but the uh, Yangium is a hammered dulcimer, and the uh, sangwang is a mouth organ, as well as a uh, piri, uh, as well as a piri. This is a double-reeded instrument. Um, these are used prominently throughout the record, really cultivating this bizarre and unfamiliar soundscape. Um, and, you know, the thing that I found uh, so intriguing about this record, in addition to the kind of the nostalgic standpoint and the experimental side of it, is where Park could offer up really bizarre and convoluted time signatures to really confound and challenge our listeners even more and make them feel that much more out of place. One of the things that you guys would like about this record is she really relies heavily on simple melodic lines that make her songs more transferable while still retaining this kind of foreignness to the song or to the songs that um, kind of make it something that you want to step into, but also keep a little bit of distance from. So um, Park, uh, Park Jihad's Communion would certainly recommend to all of our listeners. I think that even if you just gave it, you know, one, two listens through, I think you would get a lot out of this. Okay, Brian, I certainly have not heard that record before, but when we get done with this episode, I'm going to probably try putting it on. So I'm going to talk about an album that actually just came out uh, this afternoon. Well, it came out this morning, actually. We were um, we're recording this on March 23rd. So the album I'm going to talk about is The Sweet Unknown by the artist Erica Wennerstrom. So if you're familiar with Erica Wennerstrom, it's because she was the lead vocalist, front woman for the band Heartless Bastards, who I think can probably be best described as a meat and potatoes rock and roll band owing a lot to kind of like the bluesier country version of the Rolling Stones that you heard on uh, like the Beggar's Banquet record. I mean, what Heartless Bastards kind of lacked in originality, they you know made up for it by just getting it the fuck done and being like a really good quality rock and roll band. And part of that was definitely due to Erica Wennerson's really strong songwriting and her voice, which can go from being really bluesy and deep and highly just emotive, really a uh, really charismatic singer. So this album, I guess is technically her first solo album, I mean, if you put this on next to a Heartless Bastards album, they don't really sound that much different from a sonic standpoint. What she's still doing is rock and roll. However, um, from what I've gathered, 
what makes it different is these songs, they're longer, they're much more epic, much more windswept. And it almost kind of seems like based upon the lyrics and the sound, she's kind of like putting a toe in the deep end, getting a bit out of her comfort zone, sort of taking like a big yawn and just a leap, which is, I think, probably one of the reasons it's called Sweet Unknown. Um, there's a 10-minute song, 6-minute, 8-minute song, and it's uh, I think it only has 9 songs on it, so it's kind of going for more of a, like the classic rock vibe in that respect. But I've already listened to it um, like three times today. The first time was actually uh, on a commuter train in the morning, and this has the potential to be a really excellent stare-out-the-train, watch-the-landscape, just-like-go-by album. So... I think any of our listeners who are into the kind of modern rock evoking classic rock epicness type thing, and I think if you're on episode 30 of Beyond the Pond, this probably suits you very much, would definitely uh, be wise to check out the new record from Erica Wennerstrom, Sweet Unknown. Okay, now for our second segment, entitled Lucid Dreaming, an exploration of Yola Tango's There's a Riot Going On, where uh, Brian and I are just going to talk about the latest Yola Tango record, which was actually released last week, and how it sort of relates to the dream state of the Virginia Beach Birds of a Feather. Um, careful listeners will note that we definitely had a, a feature on Yola Tango back in episode six, which was the Fukuoka Twist episode. And frankly, we're not going to apologize for featuring them more than a few times on Beyond the Pond just because they're an incredible band, which we kind of think almost like the indie rock version of Fish in that they've been around a little over 30 years. I think they've had a 32-year career, and all they've done during that time is continuously put out interesting records with equally interesting live shows with lots of improvisation and different set lists on a nightly basis. And, you know, kind of we've often thought of their career as being an ideal career in the sense that they can really play large theaters and do whatever the heck they want while studiously putting out records. And with their latest album, we decided to feature it here because it's 15 tracks in one hour, and this one very much isn't as much a song-based record as it establishes a solid mood. Mm -hmm. And that mood is one that seems kind of murky. It seems a bit distant, almost a bit underwater, and definitely dreamy. And they managed to maintain this for the course of a whole record. And when we say... I think lucid dreaming, I think it's pretty much defined as when you're in a dream, but you can actually have control. Like you can control the actions in the dream, even though you know you te technically aren't awake. And certainly with some of the songs in this record, with the vocals being dialed back in the mix over these dreamy soundscapes, that's sort of what comes to mind at least when I think about it. So, uh, yeah, Brian, what do you have on this album? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with everything you had to say there. Um, and I think that, you know, thematically, the record really starts off from a lucid dreaming standpoint with the opening song, You Are Here, that, um, man, the first time I listened to that song when I, when I threw the album on, my, my, my first immediate thought was, I would take an entire album of them playing that groove. I, I It's so simple. And it just kind of gets me into like a hypnotic, just like lull. Um, I think I texted you that, that I listened to it on my commute to work. And 
Um, you you told me I was crazy because you you feared I'd fall asleep behind the wheel. Uh, yeah, that's not an not an operating heavy machinery album. <laughs> no, it's. Um, but you know that song really sets a tone of the record, and and you know Yola Tango is not a band to. Um, uh, Aside from you know some some clear examples, they're not typically the band that's going to immediately throw you into their record. They kind of like to introduce their record, and I think about like every day on uh, and then nothing will turn itself inside out. And um, uh, I'm blanking on the opening track of uh, uh, what Summer Sun. No, uh, well, yeah, so, uh, Summer Sun. Beach uh, Party sure. tonight. Um, but also, um, I can hear the heart beating as as one. Um, Return to hot chicken. Thank you, thank you. They 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 do like to do these sort of like intro tracks type of things that just set the initial standpoint of what this what the album is going to be about, um, and then followed up with a little bit more of a um, a more overt second track. Um, and that's kind of how you are here felt to me in that sense. The song You Are Here is immediately um, it's followed up by the song Shades of Blue, which is certainly one of the popular songs in the record, sung by their drummer, Georgia Hubley. And then I think from there it goes into She May, She Might. That's the Ira Kaplan song. Also quite dreamy. Um, so, you know, kind of moving like further through the record, I mean, obviously you have For You Too, which is probably the most electrocharged part of the entire album, but a couple of songs. It's got like real drums. It's got real drums, and it sounds like it's got that fuzz guitar. It sounds or that fuzz bass. It sounds like a, um, uh, you know, just a killer Yola Tango live track. Um, but I know that we wanted to talk a little bit about the song "Shortwave" and "Above the Sound" because that middle chunk of the record. What I find so stunning about it, you get those first four, five songs of the album. And then the middle part of the record is really just an experimentation and ambient music. Yeah, certainly Shortwave could almost be considered Yola Tango's full-on ambient song. Yeah. That's the closest it's, they've come. I mean, it's as if they're just taking on Brian Eno completely there. Exactly.
what's interesting about this album is that for the first time, it wasn't Yola Tango getting together in the studio and banging it out. The entire album is constructed on Pro Tools, and I believe it was entirely comprised of um, past recordings, maybe some things from live recordings. But what um, the bass player, James McNew, did is that he just took all these snippets, put them together in Pro Tools, and they recorded vocals separately. And then they uh, had uh, the producer, John McIntyre from Tortoise. He mixed the album at uh, his studio in California. Interesting. Interesting. I didn't know that about the, the background of the record. It's um... Yeah, they never actually played the songs live in a room. The whole thing was comprised of like prior recordings, snippets. So it's really a big sound collage that the bassist kind of had to construct together. Like a puzzle. makes a lot of sense when you think about the record it has that feel of an album that was kind of built um in different parts uh and 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 kind of built uh um not in like a traditional recording sense um you know yola tango's at this really unique point in their career where um i think we would both argue um for the most part the records that they made in the 2000s have been pretty much everywhere from really solid to nearing excellence i i really enjoyed fade myself oh yeah i think probably fade is the high watermark after and nothing turned itself inside out right right but it seems um they they put out a record in 2015 and i'm blanking on the title of it, it was a bunch of covers that they did acoustically it was a uh, thought of various stuff like that there. stuff like that there yeah um had a similar feel to fake book which was Oddly enough, the the album that turned me on to Yola Tango uh, so many years ago. Yeah, it was. I mean, they even advertised it as this is the official sequel to Fake Book. So okay, okay. It's interesting to me that they're making a record like this now, um, and to kind of tie it back to Fish, because obviously you know we're featuring this based around this Virginia Beach Birds. Um, you know, Fish in 1999 was experimenting so much in terms of how do we play as little as possible and yet still keep listeners engaged and what do we need to do to kind of step away from our instruments and step away from our traditional approach to playing music. And, you know, here Yola Tango is 32 years in their career and they're still trying to figure out ways to do that as well. Um, That's something that I just admire about them not, you know, consistently. Yeah, because most bands, if you're lucky enough to get to your 32nd year, 
at that point, it means you're generally rolling out the hits. But with Yola, with Yola Tango, they just continue to they continue to keep innovating. Like their 32 years been like a long conversation just amongst themselves. And with like the late period Yola Tango with this record, it's you know really one of they're more innovative to me in a long time and it's attempts to like establish a whole very dreamy mood and with the way that it was constructed, like I said earlier through um, a variety of snippets as opposed to like a live band in the studio. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that, um, uh, you know, a number of their records in the aughts, they, they worked as proper albums and, and so did fade. This one really feels like, um, you know, they've got a theme in mind of what they want to go after and they spend a lot of the record experimenting. I was really kind of taken aback when I listened to it for the first time, especially the midsection, uh, songs like shortwave and, uh, and a song like above the sound, which, you know, is a proper song with lyrics and a structure to it, but it really feels like something really unique that you'd find like seven, eight tracks into an album. Yeah. I mean, one time through the album doesn't seem to give you much to hold on to. No, not at all. It certainly is going to be a very good, uh, fall asleep on the train album, like a sea and cake album. Um, like some of the more dreamier artists we talked about earlier, uh, like Juliana Barwick and, um, certainly, certainly, certainly Julia Holter, but you know, in a sense, it still sounds like Yola Tango. I mean, Absolutely. they don't sound like anyone other than themselves 32 years in. This is just done in a much dreamier fashion. It's kind of, um, uh, you know, we talked a lot last year about the Nationals album Sleep Well Beast, which has that sort of moody late night. There's a bit of like somber dreaminess to that record as well. Um, and you mentioned, you know, it still sounds like Yola Tango. I think what's so fascinating and, and endlessly interesting about Yola Tango, and I think, you know, again, to tie it back to Fish, is the structures in place. You know what you're getting. You know what, like, kind of the sounds you're getting with Yola Tango are. Um, but they can really still surprise you in how different they sound as themselves. And I think that that's something that, um, you know, I love personally about what the Nationals trying to do right now is pushed that much further beyond their core sound while they may not have the agility or the kind of uh, dexterity to do it the same way that Yola Tango does. I mean, Yola Tango is a little bit rougher around the edges with their song structures. Um, it's just, it's always fascinating to me. Plus there's only like three of them. The national. Right, right, totally. That's a, there's more dudes in a horn section. Right. <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot to structure there, but um, yeah, I mean, this record just kind of for Yola Tango, it's, um, you never want to see a band this late in their career just kind of, uh, I don't know, get comfortable with their sound. And it sounds, it feels to me constantly like Yola Tango thrives being a little bit uncomfortable, and and that's really where their best work comes out of. Yeah, I would agree, and I'm very much looking forward to them trying to play these songs. I've got tickets to see them uh, in Brooklyn on April 6th. Uh, that could be a two-set show because I don't think there's any opener. But I'm really curious to see how these songs are going to translate to the stage because, 
Yola Tango doesn't shy away from playing their more ambient stuff on stage. Stuff from their first album all the way up to the latest album. It's all fair game. Which is another reason that I like them like fish. Because you never know what's going to transpire on that stage. Right, right, right. I mean, the first time I saw them, they opened up with a set long... Uh, the sounds of the sounds of silence, which uh, are of science, science, which um, if you have not heard, that is an extremely experimental uh, soundtrack that they made back in 2002, 2003, that um, did not win my wife over. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> that was the soundtrack for the underwater films, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was like soundtrack underwater documentary. I actually saw them. I saw them play that album. I saw them perform those songs behind the like underwater documentaries. And David Byrne sat two rows in front of us, so it's got his approval. <laughs> enjoyed a little bit of our sample from Yola Tango's newest album. There's a riot going on there. So just to recap the songs that we played here today, um, in segment one, where we tackled musical dream states, first song that we selected was Bob in Your Gate by Juliana Barwick off of her 2011 album, The Magic Place. We followed that up with Silhouette from Julia Holter off of her 2015 record, Have You in My Wilderness. Uh, in our second segment, we talked about lucid dreaming and tied this into Yola Tango's newest album. There's a riot going on, a really excellent early 2018 release from a solid, no nonsense, maybe a bit of nonsense, uh, 32 year plus indie rock stalwarts Yola Tango. And we featured the songs You Are Here, Shortwave, and Above the Sound. And um, just really quickly, the new albums that we recommended for you guys, uh, Park Jiha's Communion, as well as Erica, Wen- Erica Wennerstrom's Sweet Unknown. Just a reminder, you can always find us on social media at Twitter. We're at underscore beyond the pond, one word. We have a webpage on Simplecast now. It's uh, Simplecast for the people who host this podcast. So... That is beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. So that's uh, one word, beyondthepond.simplecast.fm. We have a Spotify playlist where we try to feature as many songs available on Spotify that are in the episodes. <clears throat> it's getting quite lengthy at this point. I think there's well over 150 songs in the podcast uh, in the playlist. It's entitled Beyond the Pond Podcast Songs. 
And of course, we'd ask you to check out our network, the Osiris Podcast Network. That is at OsirisPod.com. And please drop us a review in iTunes. We would uh, love it. We'd like to read. We're always good at getting the feedback, seeing how we can make this better. And it uh, helps our standing in iTunes as well. Absolutely. And um, just a quick note about our publishing structure. You guys are probably getting pretty well used to us here. This is our third episode in as many weeks. And don't think that we're turning into a weekly podcast. Um, We are just trying to... Because we ain't. Because we ain't. Um, This is a special uh, period where we wanted to cover... Uh, anniversary episode last week and then we wanted to have something for you guys to hold you over before our next episode which will come out in two tuesdays uh which is a fantastic uh episode with a really great guest who has been a huge fan of beyond the pond since the start we're really stoked for you guys to hear that we've got some great episodes lined up as we move into summer and we move closer to fish summer tour um and already kind of starting to tack tackle how we're going to cover fish's summer tour here in 2018 in our own unique way but um we would encourage you guys to come back here in two tuesdays to uh, go beyond the pond with us and just a reminder if you like the bands that you're hearing here we want to encourage you to go see them live go out and see live music it's really as difficult as ever these days to make a living in the music industry these bands they make the money on stage they make the money selling merchandise so go to the show, go to the merch table, buy vinyl, tell them you appreciate what they do. We certainly do. And on that note, if you've gotten to this point in listening, we thank you very, very much. And be sure to come back in two weeks where we're going to hold hands. We're going to try our very best not to collude at Russia. We're going to uh, probably talk about the war on drugs. Drink. Actually, we may not, although uh, I will have actually may have seen them at that point on April 8th at Brooklyn Steel. So I would invite you to come along with us and we will go beyond the pond. Oh, I will tell you why the ocean's near the shore. I could think of things I never thought before And then I'd sit and think some more I would not be just a nothing My head all full of stuffing My heart all full of pain I would dance and be merry Life would be a ding a dairy If I only had a brain Osiris Osiris